Hello, and welcome to this episode of Agape Fellowship. In this fellowship, we study the Word of God verse by verse. We have seen the birth of the Messiah and the arrival of the forerunner, John the Baptist. John was preaching his message of repentance and baptizing people by the Jordan River. Let's hear what John has to say about the Messiah. Be blessed. Welcome uh, to our study as we are continuing in um, Matthew chapter 3 and then hopefully we will start making uh, headway into chapter 4. What you're going to see is something very interesting. Um, there are four Gospels, as you know, uh, and three of them are called Synoptic Gospels. And there is something unique about the Gospel of Matthew. Can you tell me what that uniqueness is about the Gospel of Matthew? It speaks to the Messiahship of Christ. Right. Um, the Messiahship. Um, there's something more unique than uh, just the Messiahship, while that is true. Um, he also, Gospel of Matthew is focused on from a Jewish perspective. So what we're going to see is the Jewish perspective uh, of the Messiah. Now, everything, keep that in mind as we go from chapter to chapter, and you're going to see this parallel uh, happen over and over and over again. Uh, including this chapter that we are on in chapter 3 and including chapter 4 and every, pretty much everything. The objective for Matthew was to say that this is the Messiah that was promised to the Jewish people. It's a very Jewish gospel. Of all the three, this is perhaps the most Jewish thought gospel. Um, and so if a um, Jew were to pick this up, um, and just read from it, um, then he would say, wait a minute, everybody told me that Christianity is a different religion, but this is all about us. This is everything about us. And they wouldn't see any difference because it would be just as a narrative as if it were from the old. You're going to see that tonight and perhaps into the next study as well. So the last time we were in this book, uh, in this chapter, we were looking at from a point of John the Baptist, what did the baptism mean, and uh, who was he? He came in the power and the spirit of Elijah and all of those things. We looked into all those details pertaining um, to um, John the Baptist. Now, after this is done, uh, then we were just about to get into uh, the portion where Jesus comes forward for the baptism, and that's when our time ran out. So I'm going to just read a few verses prior, and then we're going to go forward. So let me see. Um, and it, so John is telling the Pharisees who had come there um, to be baptized also, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me, 
mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly cleanse out the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So the Pharisees had come to the same baptism, even though they were not very sure if this was the guy and this who is he. And so they asked him, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? And he says, no, none of those. I'm just the one in the wilderness crying to prepare the way of the Lord. And so he denies that he's anybody big. And he says, look, I am not even worthy to carry his sandals. In some places, in another gospel, it says to untie the sandals. And so on, he says, uh, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier. And so we, that is where our time ran out. And so we were looking at how the Spirit, the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon you. And so prior um, to the baptism, prior to this event, Jesus had breathed into uh, his disciples, the Holy Spirit. And so we were looking at the threefold relationship that the Holy Spirit has with a person that is born anew. That is prior to our being born anew experience, he, the Holy Spirit walks with us. He is convicting us. He's showing us that the Messiah is Jesus, that Jesus is the sal uh, salvation. He's the solution. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It, all of that conviction takes place, but the Holy Spirit is not in you. He's beside you. He's outside of you. He's walking alongside you. And so when Jesus was resurrected, the first event, after they examined his feet and fingers and everything else, and he had food and all, the, sp the first specific event, the very first action that he took with his disciples was to breathe into him his Holy Spirit. Remember, he had said, look, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The Father is going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so he breathed into them the Holy Spirit. And so they were born anew. And also the Holy Spirit took residence in them. On the day of the Pentecost, something very unique happened. It fell upon them. Every time there is a fall, whenever God sends us out on a work, on a mission trip, you're not going on your own strength. You, the God's Holy Spirit falls upon you and it's the Holy Spirit that directs your footsteps. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the power. Notice in Acts chapter 1 uh, verse 8, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. And so he is talking about that as the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says then, it says, Jesus actually tells him, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So every time you are being sent out, he's baptized. In other words, he's pouring his Holy Spirit upon you um, so that you can start a new work. Every new work that a believer starts is always in the power and in the strength of the Lord. Never is it a time that we do it of our own accord. And this is the same thing that Ezekiel had prophesied. 
that about the dry bones that he will breathe his Holy Spirit upon those dry bones and they will put sinew and flesh and then they will um, live again. Um, and so those are the events that took place um, after, but it pointed to the baptism yet to come, baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he's also talking about a baptism by fire. To baptize by fire is, means to bring a fire of judgment, which is to purify us. There's a baptism of fire that we all go through on a regular basis. Um, that he is the refiners in Malachi. You remember that portion in Malachi. He's the refiner's fire. Um, he's the fuller soap. What is it that he does? He, he burns up the dross in our life. And so he is going to do that work. And that is what the work of the Holy Spirit is to do for us. And then John ends this portion by saying, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. John was stating what Pharisees had been told in the, uh, there's a reference to the Babylonian Talmud. What is this thing about this uh, shoe? Where did it come from? Why is he talking about a specific shoe event, the sandals? Well, here is what, let me read off from the Pharisee, the book, the, the Talmud, that's the Jewish book. It says all, it's talking about specifically the relationship between a teacher and a student. All manner of service that a slave must render to his master or student must render to his teacher. So a student must become as if it were he were a slave unto the master. That was a requirement by the Talmud, except that of taking off his shoe. Except, that's very interesting, it's except of taking off his shoe. So the servant can do everything but don't touch his shoe. But what John is saying is, look, I'm not even worthy to untie, let alone take off. I'm not even worthy to untie that shoe or to lift his shoe, carry his shoe. I'm not worthy, is what he says. Um, so, and then he goes on to say, his winnowing fan in his, is in his hands and he will thoroughly clean out. A winnowing fan, for those of you who have done any kind of um, farming, uh, any kind of wheat production you may have seen, or a barley or rice or anything like that, I've seen this being done in my old country. What they do is to, they throw the rice up into the air with all the husk and there would be a fan. It would sometimes be a manual, somebody blowing out the fan. And what happens is the wheat or the rice, which is a little heavier item would fall straight to the ground. But what happens to the chaff? It gets blown away. And that's how that they differentiate between the, the rice or the wheat and the, the chaff that gets blown away. And then they gather up that portion. But before you do that, you clear out the space of the floor so that the rice falls straight down or the wheat falls straight down and the husk gets blown away. So the scattered chaff is swept and what happens is typically uh, it's burnt or sometimes it's used for cattle feed and many other things it's being used for. So that's, the, that's what he's talking about was this particular event. Now on to, on to verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Are you coming to me? 
So Jesus is about to begin his ministry, and so he emerges. After many years, we don't know where he is. The last time we left him off, he was a, he was a kid back in uh, Nazareth with his parents, and now here he is. He shows up out of obscurity. Uh, he comes out, and he presents himself. And so Jesus comes to the place where he's being baptized. And so look at John is surprised. He's saying, wait, what? wait a minute. I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me? Prior to this, in the Gospel of John, there were certain events that took place. So John, uh, John the Baptist is not seeing him for the first time. John the Baptist had seen him prior to this, and in the, in the Gospel of John, he says, as he was passing by, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then that's when um, two of his disciples, um, it happened twice, and the second time is when Andrew goes out uh, with, I believe it is Philip, I don't remember, remember exactly, but they go and say, Master, where, where do you live? And he says, Come and see. And that was the beginning of how the disciples came along. But John had seen him, and then it was the next day that uh, Jesus approaches John the Baptist um, and uh, comes for the baptism. But John, um, Matthew doesn't go into all those details. It goes straight to the portion uh, where he comes to be baptized. John recognized how strange it is that he is asking to be baptized. It was as if John was saying, I need your spirit and fire baptism, not you, my water baptism. What are we talking about? This is strange. I need that. You don't need this. John understood that this was the Messiah. This was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so that is where he's coming from. He knows the background of this is the one because the Holy Spirit had shown him that this was the person. All of that is in the Gospel of John. Verse 15. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so. Now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. It is fitting for righteousness, for all right, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus understood that this would seem strange to John, but it was necessary and important to fulfill all righteousness. But what does that mean? What was he meaning by all of this? First of all, Jesus was identifying with sinful humanity. He didn't have to be baptized. There was nothing to repent. And yet he wanted to be identified with a sinful human race. If he was going to become the son of man, in other words, a representative person of the human species, then he needed to carry their sins. He needed to identify with their sins, their fallenness. He cannot stand aloof and say, okay, I'm going to represent them. I'm not one of them, but I'm going to represent them. Uh, that would be a worldly way of representation, but Jesus was going to become fully, completely one of us, including taking on our sins upon him and identifying with our sinfulness. Let's read Isaiah 53. Everybody knows Isaiah 53. Let's read Isaiah 53, 10 to 12. Can someone please pick up that? 10 to 12. Isaiah 53, 10 to 12. 
Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He was numbered, in NKJV it goes like this, he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sins of many and made intercessions for transgressors. So here he is, the first time that he is identifying with sinful human race that, yes, I, if I have to be part of them, I am going to bear their transgressions. I'm going to bear their sins. And so he identifies with our sinful human race. Then John allowed him. The purpose was for Jesus to completely identify with sinful man. And that's exactly what he did in his birth, in his upbringing, in his death. So here we have John allowing um, John, Jesus um, to stand in place of a sinful man and be baptized. Verse 16, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately out of the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so here we have the father, the Holy Spirit um, witnessing that this is Jesus. It is Jesus' son. I mean, it's God's son uh, in whom God is well pleased. And it's it, the voice is heard uh, by um, those standing there. John was a well-respected and admired prophet. For John to humble himself to say how unworthy he was before the Messiah gives us an early picture of character of the Messiah. The God who made the heavens and the earth identified with sinful men whom he had come to redeem. Meekness and majesty radiate from the closing verses of Matthew 3. Do join us in the next episode as we start with chapter 4 and learn Jesus' experience in the wilderness. God bless you.